welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, a good man sitting in my home across the desk from me, is my friend Jeffrey Aldridge. Welcome to the podcast, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me, Richard. So as background, so you kind of know who you're listening to before we get into the, the Jeffrey's story. Jeffrey is 28. He um, identifies as SSA gay. Either label is fine with him. He is married to a woman, Cassandra. They have a wonderful marriage. They have two kids. They um, live in Orem. Um, he is currently working for a leasing center, but his true passion is multimedia. Love to eventually have a career in film, editing, animation, or acting. And um, Jeffrey will talk about his journey. He came out at age 12 um, to his parents while living in St. George. We'll talk about that experience um, and eventually what caused him to leave St. George and live in Indiana for a period of time. We'll talk um, then about returning to St. George, serving a mission, um, getting to know somebody really well, his future wife, um, writing to each other during their missions, and then coming home and deciding to get married as they fell in love. Um, and we'll talk just about this complicated road of someone that experiences same-sex attraction as married to a woman, as a great marriage, and as an active Latter-day Saint. And I love Jeffrey's profile on Facebook. This is what it says. And I love these descriptions of who Jeffrey is. Husband, father, friend, loves everyone, LDS, LGBT, loves one another no matter what. What a great um, description. Sort of think it represents what Christ would put. Oh, uh, well, we you. don't know he's a husband or father, but everything else, you know, LDS, disciple of Christ, especially I think Christ taught this, just what you wrote, loves one another no matter what. Um, is that okay for a bio, Jeffrey? I'm sorry? Is that okay for an introduction? Is there anything I've said that's oh, not correct? Um, I live in Provo. You live in Provo. Let's get the geography <laughs> right. But I guess it really doesn't matter. It's. But let's get that right. So you live in Provo. I do live in Provo. My wife and I moved here last October from St. George. Tell us, let's go back to St. George. Um, you're 28. Um, at age 12, which is younger than most of my guests coming out, you came out to your parents. Tell us about that. What caught, you know, coming out to your parents? Well, you know, I... I knew I was different from as early as three years old. I knew I was gay. I don't know if I knew the word, but I knew I was. And that really frightened me because I really wanted a wife and family. And so ever since I was four years old, I'd pray for my wife, hoping that one day I would meet her and be able to have that blessing that I have dreamt of for such a long time. And I didn't think that dream was going to become a possibility. And so I, um, when I was 12, I just thought I need to tell my parents. I need to tell them um, because I need help. This was back when I thought I could get it fixed. I told them and my mom, she's very understanding. And surprisingly, I was talking to her over the phone when I came out to her and then I walked upstairs and I saw my dad on the phone and he hurried and hung up and I was just mortified. I was like, oh, my dad just listened into that. 
And, uh, but shockingly, he was even more comforting than my mom. My mom's amazing. She just, she was away in California at that time. And I, that's when, um, I started to take off that weight off my shoulders. Um, and then my siblings found out a little bit later and they started treating me better and we became a lot closer. Um, I was very, uh, isolated. I would not sit with him at dinner. I'd go downstairs because I felt like because of the abuse I experienced, um, in school, um, verbal abuse, physical abuse, both. Um, and you know, my brother, I didn't know at the time that his love language was horsing around and being rough. I just thought he was being mean. So I just took it as like, I can't escape this anywhere I go. So I would never, ever sit with my family or talk to them. And, you know, that really made my mom sad. But after this, it started getting better and better and better. And my brother, uh, Chad, it was amazing. He just had this realization. I didn't know about this, but he broke down crying and he like felt so bad. And I... I don't like that he went through that pain, but it was nice to know that a light switch a light switch went off in his head of how hurtful those words can be when you use gay in a derogatory way. I don't like it when people use that word if it's derogatory. Um, so I felt like that really started to heal over. Um, uh, while I was on my journey after coming out, I went to so many therapists so many therapists and it was okay you know it was me trying to find out what this was all about um some people tried to fix me and some people just listened and i don't know uh it was okay my therapy experience um when i the thing that was frustrating was that um while I was growing up, um, the leaders of the church, uh, not the leaders, but, you know, at my stake, they said, Jeff, you can't talk to anybody about this. And, you know, my parents, they wanted to be obedient. And it wasn't that they were doing anything wrong. I don't blame them, but they didn't want me to say anything either because of that um, advice that had been given to us. So I kept it a secret and it just felt like it was getting stronger and stronger and stronger. It was so frustrated. Uh, it was so frustrating. I remember when I had my first real crush. And, you know, I always had crushes on guys growing up. But my first real crush, I hated him because he represented what I did not like about myself. I hated how strong these feelings were. I was such a jerk to him. It was kind of a Helga and Arnold thing. If you're familiar with Hey Arnold, um, there will be people listening who are. But I, I was such a jerk to him. And so we always kind of bumped heads a little bit. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, uh, did your leaders tell you why not to tell anybody? Um, I think they didn't really say why. At first, I was very angry after coming out to everyone. Like, they just don't like it and it makes them feel uncomfortable. 
But then I kind of looked back on it and thought, you know, they probably just didn't want anybody to hurt me. They probably just had my best interest in their hearts and I, they just didn't want anybody to harass me. Unfortunately, it was still happening. You know, it was happening. Um, it was relentless. And, you know, when I got to my junior year of high school, um, I said, you know, enough is enough. So I confided in a friend about my SSA or, you know, that I was gay uh, to someone my mom felt very strongly I should not tell. And sure enough, um, that's when my life became a little bit of a living hell. I That was probably my first panic attack that was awful. Um, that guy I had a crush on, she told him, and I, oh, it was just awful. He even came to my house. It's like to talk it over, it was mortifying. That was a mortifying experience. But uh, she made it sound way worse than it really was. And I was in so much pain. I was... If you probably understand what it feels like to be so emotionally hurt that it physically takes a toll and it just physically hurts your chest and everything aches. Um, I was so scared and it was getting... Um, and the first semester was nearing to an end of my junior year and I looked to my best friend at the time and I said, I'm moving to Indiana. And she's like, okay, Jeff, you're moving to Indiana. And I don't know why, but I felt I, um, I felt so strongly about this. And uh, I, so what happened <laughs> was I called my oldest sister, Amy. I, I love her. She's like a second mom to me. She was even my first word. I don't know why I have this connection with her, but I love her. Um, I asked her if I could move there. And my mom, she didn't want me to move there, but she prayed very, uh, very, she prayed very hardly. And she's like, if you want him to succeed, you have to let him go. And that was very hard. So literally on January 1st from hot St. George to really cold, very snowy Indiana, I... <laughs> I just moved and I started a new life out there and man, was it a shock. It was such a shock because of the change in the culture, which was so nice and freeing. Um, because I, you know, it's, people have said it before and I'll say it again, Utah is a bubble and a lot of people think that um, the LDS religion and the culture are the same, but they are, in fact, very different. I love the, um, the gospel, hate the culture, hate it. It's very toxic. And if you confuse the two, it can really hurt you really bad. Um, so uh, when I met the members, my peers uh, out in Carmel, Indiana, uh, who were LDS as well, they were just so nice and loving. They were so nice and loving, and it was very unusual to me. And when I went to my high school, just it was there was so much diversity, and it was so healthy for me. And I thought I wasn't a judge, uh, and I thought I wasn't a judgmental person, but they taught me how to be even less judgmental. 
And because they showed me so much love for me, just being me, I started to learn how to love myself for the very first time. And I was there for two years. I was there until I graduated high school. And I don't think I would have graduated high school. Otherwise, I was doing so badly. I was really hurting. And I was able to get a second chance out there. And I barely graduated by the uh, skin of my teeth. And I don't think that would have happened. It really strengthened me a lot spiritually. Um, everybody there, they... The thing that I liked is that they gave me a different label than gay. You know, they they knew I was effeminate and they thought it, but instead they just called me Utah or that Mormon kid or, you know, and they didn't hate me for it. They I just I just felt so accepted and they were interested to what I had to say. And I felt like a missionary in my own way. Um, Did so, you come out to your ward or to the school? I did not come did out it, did to you? my school um, in Indiana, but my ward knew. Um, so your I ward was, knew and you felt um, accepted by your peers. Oh, definitely. Definitely. They knew. <laughs> and if whenever I finally gained the strength that if somebody ever did do something that was kind of leading towards harassment, I... I uh, I jumped back. I, I snapped back, and I it felt good. I uh, remember there's this this jock. Um, a few of the jocks liked to mess with me in Westfield, Indiana, but it was I. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't nearly as bad as St. George, but uh, you know they'd say crude things about me. And there's this one jock who would always come up to me and grab my butt just to harass me, and like that was his way of saying I'm gay. And it was so irritating because I, I just didn't like it. I didn't want to be touched. And so one day in the middle of class, he grabbed my butt again, and I turned around and I said, so when are you going to ask me out? And he said, what? I'm like, when are you going to ask me out? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not queer. I'm not going to do that. And so I screamed, that, stop grabbing my butt. <laughs> I was, and then he just shut up. <laughs> I was so mad. Um, but I liked that I started to develop a character where I could defend myself more and I had better self-esteem. It was very, very cool. And by the time that I graduated, I, uh, I just learned so much love from all these people that I had so much more strength inside of me that I knew I could return to St. George, even though I knew that that was a place of pain for me. I knew I could handle it this time. And, um, so I went back and I, okay, you ask the next, next question. Just a couple questions about therapists. At this point, I know we visited ahead of time. You've, by the time you're on your way back to St. George, you've seen a lot of therapists. I have. And without, I mean, and this is maybe you talking to therapists perhaps, or just people that are recommending their kids to therapists. What, what therapists were help? What did they do that were helpful? And what did, you know, a couple things that your therapists that were helpful and a couple things that were unhelpful from therapists? Well, um, therapists from my child, uh, the therapists from my childhood, they were very soft spoken and loving, and that's what I needed. I, I, 
was too afraid to take anything extreme. They are very loving. And it taught me men can indeed be gentle. And uh, that was a big mm. healing experience. Um, uh, when I came back from Indiana, it was time to start thinking about a mission. And oh, that was such a trying time for me. That was such a trying time for me. I definitely had the strength to be back in St. George. But because I had that new strength, it was amazing what was thrust upon me, which I always tell myself I'm honored, if you can trust me with that. But um, I would see my stake president about going on a mission, and my bishop felt like I was ready. And every time I saw him, we just did not get along. And he would get very irritated with me and... He would say, you can't go on a mission. And I didn't understand why. I was like, I thought I was worthy. And so I started questioning things like crazy. And so he recommended me to go see someone, uh, a therapist who was a buddy of his. And he said he referred a lot of people to him. And I was like, you know what? If this is the stake president's will, then it must be God's will. So I was like, I'm just going to go. And... This was the one of the worst experiences of my life. I had to learn at this time that leaders aren't perfect and they're not always inspired to do what is right for you. Because if, if I had just believed that, I would have fallen away. You know, I'm like, just to remind myself they're not perfect. But this therapist, he was very, very rude, very insensitive, said very vulgar things to me, talked to me about a friend who was a client of his, who was my best friend, um, and he shouldn't have even have brought him up. Right. He shouldn't have even brought him up, but he just, I wish I could say what he said, but it was very vulgar. And I remember going to the stake president after all this happened, and I was like, I need to talk to you. And as I was talking to him about this doctor, <laughs> This doctor called my stake president, and it was a very, oh, it was mortifying because the man I heard on the phone was very different than the man I was seeing, very two-faced. It's like, I don't understand, blah, 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 blah. I, I don't understand. I don't understand why he's so angry, la, da, 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 da. And, of course, my stake, uh, my stake president sided with him, and I was heartbroken. I was devastated. And I was like, I guess I can't go on a mission. I was on that journey for a couple of years with that state president. Very bad experience for me. Good man, I'm sure. And it's taught me a lot. And maybe it taught him something. I don't know. But it's, it's something that still leaves a scar. Um, but I told myself if I ever become a leader... I've been taught how not to treat members, um, which is awful. But, you know, I, he's a good man. We just didn't click at all. Um, I hope you have a chance to be a leader. It would be a lot of fun. You know, I think that there needs to be more leaders who have more of a personal insight on this kind of stuff, especially in the latter days, because people are confused enough as it is. 
And they just need to know that first and foremost, they are loved by Heavenly Father and that's the most important thing. And he wants you to be happy. And so, so were you ever able to go on a mission? Uh, I, I eventually did. I eventually did go on a mission. Um, what, uh, I started going to my young single adult stake and my stake president said, you know, I think you need to go on a mission. And I was like, <sighs> and I was like, I feel like God told me obviously not to go on a mission because of what I went through. But he said, yeah, you need to go on a mission. And I'm like, okay. Um, and then I had to ask the hard question to see if he would accept me. And I said, okay, but I deal with SSA. Do you know what that is? He's like, yeah, I think so. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, we can work on it. And I was like, what do you think it is? And he said, it's when you have a problem wetting the bed still. <laughs> and I started laughing so hard. And it was just easier to come out to him. I'm gay. I'm attracted to men. Is that a problem? <laughs> oh, no, we're okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I got quite a kick out of that. Um, and he recommended me uh, to do this mission, which I knew was... Um, uh, prompted. It was in the publishing services department of the church up in Salt Lake City, where I worked with a lot of media actors and general conference for two years. Wonderful experience. I got to meet amazing people. Um, if you ever meet Jeffrey L. Holland in person, if you ever meet Jeffrey L. Holland in person, don't look directly into his eyes because they're way brighter <laughs> than they show on the screen. They're beautiful blue. And I just felt like he was reading into my soul. and he, <laughs> But he was so kind to me. He was so kind to me. Um, but I really loved that. Um, at first, I thought to serve a service mission, I had to have something wrong with me. And that I wasn't serving a respectable, honorable, full-time mission. It was a full-time mission, but I didn't think it was honorable. Because I thought uh, that I was... I don't know, that I didn't measure up. But then I realized that God knows my gifts, and I excel in this area when it comes to the media. And just like that, please help me with this quote. I'm paraphrasing, but that quote by Albert Einstein was like, if you tell a fish to climb a tree, it'll spend the rest of its life thinking that it's stupid. Proselyting isn't the only way to serve. He knew how to channel my talents enough to make an impact in the best way that I could. And it was a wonderful experience. And after a while, I was like, more people should know about this because there's more than one way to serve and it's okay. You know? <laughs> um, and I think that's a good example of your point earlier, Jeffrey, about culture versus gospel. Oh, yeah. We did a podcast with a great young man in our ward um, who chose, proactively chose to serve a service mission. And part of his spiritual prompting to do that was to destigmatize service missions and to sort of equalize them with proselyting missions and not make them sort of a backup plan if the first plan doesn't come to pass. And right. so you and him and others are breaking the culture by following Heavenly Father's promptings and serving the way that's right for you. Yeah. 
And we just learn to support you and not sort of look at the way you're serving different or less less worthy or less impactful than other types of missions. So thank you for your example in that space. Well, thank you. It was, everybody says this, but it was definitely the best mission ever. I just loved being able to do, do what I love. And it felt so good to know that I could use my talent for righteousness. Can have you just righteous. move up closer, a little closer to the microphone? There sure. you go. Um, I loved that I was able to serve in doing what I love. And I love that I found out that I could use my talent in a righteous way. And it's okay that I wanted to pursue these things in media. And there's opposition in all things. Because when, like, if you go in the media, you're really gonna, you know, you're gonna go down the wrong path. And I, something didn't feel right when people said that to me. And my mission proved to me that it can for sure be used for righteous purposes if you allow it to be and bring you a lot of joy. I love that. Talk about, you know, I, I have been a local church leader, as our listeners know, and I'm sure I could find people in my YSA ward that could come on the podcast and and say things that correctly that I did incorrectly and cause pain for them. And I just recognize being set apart <laughs> and given the mantle of a local priesthood leader doesn't mean that I then do everything right. right. And so you had a, a stake president, and you're, you're, you're kind, but you're honest in your experience with him. Very. Um, What's your advice to... Uh, I, I'm aware of more people that have difficult experiences with local leaders. Uh-huh. And what's your advice to them? Because it can break their faith in the church. Um, and it's somehow you navigated that and didn't lose your testimony and, and didn't leave the church over it. Any advice to people that feel pain from a church leader? Uh, first, I just taught myself that... Nobody's perfect. They're going to make mistakes. I think he even regrets how he handled the situation, if I heard correctly from my mom. Uh, also, it's okay for me to, when I feel, when I, I used to just go to church leaders and just take it like it was the Lord talking to me. But if something did not feel right, I'd pray to God about it. And I'd be like, what do you think about this? And then it started, I started feeling, I started filtering a little bit of what was necessary for them to say to me and what was not. And then God would fill me in and this is how I feel. And it brought me a lot more peace. And I just, when I go to church, I don't think about the members. Um, and what I mean by that is they're important, but I, I don't do my religion for them. I don't practice my religion for them. I do it. I make it between God and I, so I don't feel that pressure. I don't want it to be about the culture or how people look at me. And that's really helped me strengthen my testimony and my relationship with Heavenly Father tenfold. I like your answer. Um, our doctrine is personal revelation. And I, I think my role as a local leader is to help you get better personal revelation and guide you in that process versus being the source of your personal revelation. Right. Now, I think a priesthood blessing, when I would give priesthood blessings and I spoke for God, that was a little different than just me giving counsel right. or advice. So I've always felt I'm I'm a means to you making thoughtful decisions for you. And 
And I think our home-centered, church-supported sort of shift is a shift that also matches with what you just taught, that I need to get personal revelation Mm -hmm. and sort of create boundaries at times with potentially a church leader over this topic. Mm -hmm. And so I like the way you actually talk to your next stake president, and you kind of, instead of just opening up your whole story, you kind of shared some trial balloons, like, do you know what SSA is? (laughs) Okay, what is it? And I think yeah. that was part of you just figuring out, is this a safe leader for me to open to up about this subject? Yeah, it was scary. And because you had been cut, your heart had been kind of wounded by that, rightly. And oh so, my gosh, I'm still, well, not from that, but from that, there was so much going on in that time that I'm still recovering from. And I found as a la- active Latter-day Saint, sometimes I feel like it's a dichotomy where I can't honor your church-generated pain and support our leaders. I have to sort of, I, I, and I'm worried. So I think my listeners have heard this before, but I've learned that I can do both. Yeah. I'm not selling out our leaders or our church or my commitment to the church by honoring and sitting with you in the, in a painful experience you felt from the church. It's less likely if I validate your experience and my experience to to increase the wedge between you and the church. It more is, more likely to heal you. Oh, definitely. As I just honor and validate your pain and not have you have to prove your pain to me right. by saying, oh, I'm sure he didn't mean it that way or he didn't say it that way. Or I, and so it just makes you have to revalidate the pain. Right. So those are just some thoughts for our listeners that you understand mm-hmm. about how to navigate. You've done a great job of that. Thank you. Um, talk about, we're kind of to this point now, you're back from your mission. You've had this wonderful mission uh-huh. Um, talk about Cassandra, and I think she goes by Cassidy. Um, Cassie. Cassie. Yeah. Good. Sorry, Cassie. Let's get you right. It's Kate. all good. Um, um, Cassie and I have a very cute love story. Um, it didn't start out happy. The circumstances we were brought into, it didn't start out happy, but it brought us together. Um the one thing that I liked that my stake president did, the one who I had a hard time with, is he got me a job um, at a place who supports people getting ready to go on missions. And so I was like, okay, I'll go take that job. And Cassie's mother, who she was really close to, unexpectedly passed away. And she is just right out of high school. And that was very, very hard for her. So people helped her and they got her that job. We met and uh, when I, uh, we met and when I, when I first saw her, I remember thinking, I think I'm meeting my future wife, but I hurry and put that thought aside because I didn't want to scare myself, but I felt something special for like a couple of sem. uh, a couple of seconds, uh, it was very vivid. And I also told myself, no, it can't be her because I've been given, because I've been given dreams about what my wife will look like and she's supposed to have short brown hair. And this girl clearly does not have short brown hair. She has long blonde Rapunzel hair. And so I just put it to the side and um, we got to know each other a little bit more and her dad was moving up north. And she had nowhere to go. Her, uh, Cassie and her younger brother had nowhere to go. And so they had to find 
their own means to find places to live. And I felt very strongly she needed to move in with us. So I asked my mom, we prayed about it. It felt right. She moved in with us. We became like brother and sister. It was a very, very cool experience for us uh, to get closer. That's where we learned the art of communication. I thought I knew women perfectly and then she moved in. <laughs> and that's where I learned the art of communication. It was a wonderful experience. Um, she was there when I had a boyfriend and it was a very abusive situation. I was there when she had a boyfriend and, you know, it wasn't right. And I was, uh, we really bonded over that. And, um, and then came the time to uh, where the stake president talked about me going on a mission again, my new stake president. And I was like, okay, you know, and he called me to the publishing services department and Cassie was like, you know, I want to go on a mission too. And so my dad took me through the temple. My mom took her through the temple around the same time because she really filled in as the title of mom and they're very close. And we both left on our missions the same time and we just wrote each other so much over those two years, well, kind of two years. Um, my mission is flexible. So when she came back from her mission 18 months later, I was late, uh, I was allowed to date her. So, <laughs> um, so we did share our first kiss when I was a missionary, which is very unheard of. But uh, those letters during those two years when things got hard, we would just, we have the weirdest sense of humor. Trust me, we have the strangest sense of humor. And so we just write each other the weirdest things and we'd get such a kick out of it. And even her companions would be like, <laughs> but as long as it made us happy. Um, when she got home, uh, I noticed something very different about her. And um, it, a blessing came to my mind that my father gave me. And he said, I, I asked for a blessing and I said, is it possible I'm ever going to be married to a woman and have a family if I'm gay? And he said, the person who you will marry will not be new to you, but you will see her in a new light. And it was all so very fitting. I think God used those wordings because he knows my spiritual language and I'm very Disney. And, um, you know, when I saw her, I was like, she always reminded me of Rapunzel. And I saw her in a new light. So uh, we started dating right away. And um, I, I had put this short, brown-haired girl out of my head. And I was like, it was just a dream. This is the girl who I'm supposed to be with. And then uh, during our engagement, her hair started growing in brown and she was really upset about that because her mom loved her long blonde hair. And so she kept her long blonde hair out of honoring her mother's memory. And I said, you know what? She's happy. Do what you need to do. And so I cut her hair. We dyed it brown. And we had a tangled themed wedding where she had that short brown hair. And when she got that haircut, I wasn't even thinking about my dream, but when it was done, I looked at her and gasped. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's you. You're the girl from my dream, the one with the big eyes and the cute short brown hair. Holy cow. 
So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and ever since her, she's never had to dye her hair again. It's been uh, naturally brown ever since. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, we've been married for five years now. Um, oh, that was the coolest wedding ever. I know every wedding, there are things where people say this could have gone better or that, but it was a perfect fairy tale. Um, it was my perfect uh, Disney dream wedding. I just loved it so much. Um, and I can't believe it's been five years later and now we have two sons and, um, there's nothing better than being married to your best friend because we were best friends years in advance and she knew about me being gay and we had no secrets. She knew everything. So she knew what she was getting into. And I think that's very important in this kind of situation is that they know in advance because then there's that like, there's that sense of trust where they just know you're going to be real with them. And I think that really helps. And I understand there are people who didn't take that road and they told after they got married and that's really hard. But for those who haven't gotten married and that's something you wanna pursue, let them know beforehand. And it does make a difference when it comes to the health on your marriage. Um, I, I wish our listeners could see Jeffrey talk about Cassie and their marriage because he's just beaming. You can tell this is somebody who's deeply in love with his wife, and he's just beaming. We should do video podcasts <laughs> instead of audio only sometimes. So, yeah, and I love what you're teaching here, and I love you coming out, and I love this core friendship that's in place of trust, vulnerability, communication, honesty. Yeah, that is a key foundation for any successful marriage. It's very, it's very, um, it's, it's, uh, I can't think of the word. And sometimes our culture of perfectionism and wanting to per, per, project a perfect image influences us as we're dating and even into marriage that we can't be vulnerable, we can't be honest, we can't have bad days, we can't talk about our problems, right. So that cultural perfectionism you're talking about can carry into marriage and then it creates tension because we can't be our true selves. And a marriage is one plus one equals three. I know my wife has helped me become something I could never be without a spouse. But to make that most, a fair amount of that, I have to be real with her mm -hmm. about what's going on in my life. Yeah, she played it so well. Um Talk about a porn slip-up. Oh, yeah. Um, which is so, a tender subject. We've had some people that have talked about their journey with pornography. So I've learned straight people, gay people um, have porn slip-ups. So you had a porn slip-up in, oh, yeah. in your marriage. Um, and she knew that I um, struggled with porn on and off way before we were dating. And uh, she was a very loving, understanding and she was my best friend. It was really nice to talk to her about it because it would make me feel crummy if it happened. But um, when I got married, I said to myself, you're married now. That can never happen again, ever. This is a different ballgame. Three months into our marriage, I did slip. I was devastated. It was like one o'clock in the morning. But I thought I need to go tell her right now, just get it over with. I thought it could be nasty. 
I went upstairs, I woke her up, and I was near tears because I felt like this was a breaking point. And I told her, honey, I'm really sorry, but I just slipped with pornography. And she looked at me for a second and then leaned over and gave me the biggest hug and a kiss and said to me, I am so sorry you're hurting. I was astounded. I was flabbergasted. I was not expecting that response. And I just felt so much love from her. And she, the fact that she didn't, she didn't um, define me by that addiction, but she defined me for who I truly was and that I was trying my best. And it made me realize that's what Christ does when we go to him personally and tell him our sins and we confess. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't scream. He appreciates that we took the time to go to him and he and he embraces us with love. And that was such a cool experience for me. How did Cassie learn that? How did Cassie learn that? I mean, we could get her on the podcast. That's a really unique response from a spouse. Oh, you know what? Where there's betrayal I... and some people call it, you know, there's a bit of be betrayal or trauma in there that some of spouses have talked to me, which is a legitimate feeling. And right. But she and I think what she did helped you over make progress on that. Yeah. Because of her love and the no and she didn't create shame and isolate you further. No. And it's much easier to talk to her when I'm tempted. And she doesn't judge me for it. How like, cool is that? It's so very when you're cool. tempted, you can tell her. Uh-huh. And I assume then her knowing you're tempted can pull you out of the temptation. Yeah, she, um, when I had that drive, I, I text her SOS and she just like, and she just talks to me, what do you need? Do you want to watch a movie? What can I do for you? And usually I get tempted out of a lot of stress or right. heartbreak or just living in the last days with so much confusion when it comes to the LGBT community and the LDS church. Um, she treats me like a princess. That's a weird way to put it. But when I'm going through a really hard time, it's like she takes the time to make me feel special and um, I really need it. And it's, and it's not hard for her. It's just in her nature. And I just feel like I won the lottery when it came to meeting this girl and marrying her. It's very quite amazing how pure she is. And I think... If she hadn't endured all the pain that she has gone through, she wouldn't have been ready for me. She definitely has a story that is worth just as much as mine, and you should hear from her for sure. What a tribute to her. Yeah. And what an insight into her character, her ability to build empathy and compassion because of her own pain and the difficult things that have happened in her life. And Yeah. I don't want to make this a podcast about pornography. You can search back and look for some of the podcasts we've done. But I've learned that for a lot of people like you, I don't think you have an addiction, even though you use that word um, just briefly. Because I look at, as I hear a little bit of your story, I think it's just, for a lot of people I know, it's a coping mechanism for stress, anxiety, and so if, and you get a little triggered. And it's often yeah. where you deal with those triggers is where, a lot of the agency is and learn to manage those triggers in a different direction. Almost definitely. And I use the word addiction probably because that's how I wired my brain to address it because of the culture. Yeah. Um, and I 
for the YSAs, I came across very few that were truly addicted because they could go long periods of time without messing up. Mm-hmm. And it was, and it wasn't usually a desire to turn against God or rebel or to do something wrong. It often started as just a coping mechanism or an escape. And the world's really full of anxiety right now. Oh, it's so bad. I... And stress, and there's just... Yeah. Talk about... Um, I, I want to come back to something you said, and I want just for our listeners, something that Jeffrey said that was really powerful for me. It's back to Indiana. Uh-huh. And because of how you were treated by, I think, your sister Amy and, uh-huh. and your St. George family and your ward and your high school, because they loved you, you learned to love yourself. Yeah. And that's a really powerful thing. If we want people in our circle to to do better, I think they need to feel our unconditional love. Oh, definitely. Then they feel better about themselves and we feel better about ourselves. I think we're more likely to connect with God. I think we're more teachable. I think we're more open to the spirit. I think we make more thoughtful decisions. So mm-hmm. everybody deserves to love themselves. Definitely. Because God loves us all. Yeah. Everybody is very important and you don't know how you affect others. And I just want to embrace everybody from Indiana and say, you've saved me. Literally. I would not be alive right now. Um, it was very a very Pygmalion situation. You know, they taught me I was worth the love and then I believed it. Um, and the thing that was really cool, which I thought I thought this was very interesting when I came out publicly to everybody, even though we were in Utah, I was like, you know what? This is what it is. And was that when you came back after Indy? Yes, I came. uh, And you came back to St. George and came out to everybody pre-mission or post-mission? Post-mission. I was like, you know what? No, this was pre-mission. This was pre-mission. This was right after I came back from Indiana. And I said, this is a part of who I am. And I think there's a reason for it. And the funny thing is, is once I had confidence in that part, that sliver, because being gay isn't everything, but uh, when I've accepted that characteristic in me and that being part of who I am, all the people who gave me a really hard time suddenly gave me a lot of respect and love. And I think it's because I felt confident in my circumstances so they didn't feel uncomfortable around me anymore because I was emanating. It's cool. um, Yeah, that I was emanating self-conscious because I thought I was a mess up and I thought I was broken and I'm not. Talk about a dream you had about the premortal life, Jeffrey. Yeah, that was such a cool dream. Um, As a lot of people begin... um, life uh, with gay feelings, same-sex attraction, it can be very discouraging. And I I was praying to God, and I was like, what is this about? Why would you have us go through this? It doesn't make any sense, you know. To the plan of salvation, this shouldn't be here, you know. And I feel like Heavenly Father has blessed me with a few dreams, and that's not saying I'm special. I'm not. He just knows I'm a visual learner. And so I was blessed with this dream where I was in a white octagon room and there was like eight to 13 other men in that room. And we were all sitting down in a circle and Christ came in and he gave us all a manual. 
And I don't know if they had the same manual as me or not. But when Christ gave me my manual, it said homosexuality on it. And I was very surprised. And I looked at him and he said, read it, apply it, teach it. And I woke up and it felt like a memory. And I, I was like, I was supposed to go through this. This is something I was supposed to experience. There's opposition in all things. And if I use this righteously, or if I use this, if I use this experience in God's will, it's actually going to bring me closer to Heavenly Father, and it has. So I see same-sex attraction as a gift now because that's what I've made it. I used to think that that saying, I'm paraphrasing, but um, bring unto me your weakness and I shall turn weak things strong unto you. I used to think that meant he would take my SSA away. And then I realized if I use it righteously, it's just a powerful tool in God's hands for having SSA. It's all about perception and how you view their circumstance, uh, the circumstances that you have in your life. So all of our trials really can become a blessing when we use those things that we learn in God's hands. It's a really powerful segment. I hope our listeners, they may be rewinding that back a few times because after giving blessings and just sitting with so many people like you, Jeffrey, I've come to feel the same way that, um, and that God's not up there doing a face palm going, oh no, what happened? Jeffrey is gay. No. And something went wrong, but this is who you are and who you're meant to be. And you're on equal footing with straight people. Your, yeah. your existence is equal. Your contributions to society, your gifts, your sexual orientation is equal mm -hmm. to people that are straight. And it shouldn't be looked at. Now, I think our listeners know that I still invite people to live the teachings of our church. It doesn't mean that somebody that means their path is necessarily outside the church, but I think it just helps people to feel like they're not a mistake and that right. they're worthy of God's love and then to create and have better decisions when they don't look in the mirror and see something that God doesn't love or is a mistake or just, and right. And society doesn't have those messages consistently and our church doesn't have those messages consistently. So there's so much shame around sexual orientation, but I love that you came out on your second go in St. George, and I love then the way people responded. I love that pre-mortal dream. Yeah, I there was one more thing that really helped me come closer to my Heavenly Father, and I thought about that um, cliche uh, James 1-5 scripture that Joseph Smith read, um, and I just thought about it to myself, and I'm like, you know, that means if any of you lack any wisdom, let him ask of God. And it's not just limited to, is this church true? And so I asked him, I was like, Heavenly Father, what is this whole SSA thing about? And I got an answer. It gave me tremendous peace. And it just makes sense. However, it's something I can't share because it's not doctrine. So I keep it sacred to myself. It's fine. So when people say, I want to understand this, I'm like, ask Heavenly Father. He'll tell you what you need to know. And um, what he has told me has really helped me with my 
personal journey, and I'm very grateful for that. Other times where I wish I could tell people what I, I've learned for myself, most definitely, but it's not my place. I like that you created a boundary there, Jeffrey, and I think that's part of your maturity in this space. You know, part to your story you want to share, and you're pretty vulnerable, and I've shared a lot. Oh, yeah. But this part of your story you felt impressed not to share, and I think that's great. Yeah. And I don't think, I just think that's great. Well, talk about the atonement. A lot of the people I meet with talk about Christ's atonement and this wording in DNC somewhere where Christ descended below all things that creates a feeling for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints that somehow he understands. You know, I one of the things I feel like I can talk about is uh, that really helped me and some people think this is blasphemous, but if it was blasphemous, how could I be redeemed? Um, Christ felt everything. He felt every temptation, every pain, everything. So Christ himself knows what same-sex attraction along with everybody, same-sex attraction along with everything else feels like. And he's perfect. And if he can go through that, and still be perfect, then, then it's not a bad thing to have these feelings. And it just really brought me a lot closer to him and very grateful for what he's done for me, not only because he's um, atoned for my sins, but because he gets it. Because a lot of people, you know, it's it's okay. They don't get it. Um that's just the way of life. But when I really want to talk to someone, he gets it completely. And that brings me so much comfort that I can talk to him as my friend about these feelings. And I just feel so much love from him. And I feel this positive male energy from him in a spiritual sense that I feel like I've been lacking. Um, and I love it so much. Just you know, he, he thinks I'm a beautiful son of God and there's nothing wrong with him feeling that way. And that just makes me feel so good. Um, I'm very, very, um, I'm very, I appreciate very much that that's something I learned for myself. Um, yeah. I love that. I mean, the wording of that scripture, I believe, is Christ ascended below all things. Mm -hmm. And so I love your interpretation of that. I'm very comfortable with that. And I love the fact that he knows your road and knows your pain and knows your heartache and knows all the difficult things that have come into your life, mm -hmm. often by well-meaning people that add to your burden at yeah. times. And somehow that Christ can you know, he can heal you from that pain. I've always felt the, you know, Tom Christofferson taught me this when I listened to him. He just talked about the atonement doesn't change our eye color, our sexual orientation, the color of our hair. We can't, and maybe there's some of you out there that felt like it has, and I don't want to take hope off the table if you feel like the atonement has, but my feeling, and, I, and Tom, what he taught that day is the atonement's meant to heal broken hearts, Mm -hmm. and give you hope and just that the Savior can yoke. I love that word yoke. Mm -hmm. um, 
bear burdens, comfort, and he's our older brother and can heal. Yeah. And I, so I love what you've learned there and what you're teaching to our listeners. Thank you. I am very grateful that um, I was able to stick with it, which I very well could not have done alone. I had a very um, supportive um, group around me when it comes to family and friends, and that's rare in this situation. And I wish people would see how much a difference love makes. And even if they don't pursue the life you want them to pursue, just loving them is the most important. And that's another factor that has saved me. Do you ever, you know, you're married to a woman, you have a great marriage. Do you ever sometimes feel like I would like to be married to a man? Oh, definitely. Um, I, I know that, and this might seem blasphemous to some people, but in my experience... I know a man can fall in love with another man because it's happened to me. And it wasn't lustful. It was pure, wholesome. I wanted them to succeed. I prayed for them, you know. All of that came with it. This was back in St. George before you were married. Yeah, this was before I left on my mission. Um, There's this guy who um, I just fell in love with. And he was so very kind to me. And he taught me that um, you don't have to fit this stereotype to have SSA and that we're not all the same. I used to think that everybody that was gay was just like me, and that's definitely not true. He definitely does not fit the stereotype. Um, I could not tell him my feelings because I respected him enough to not put him through that. Um but he still means a lot to me. And there are times where I'm having a hard time and I'm like, what if I had pursued that? Like when he had given me the opportunity, you know? Um, would I would I be more mentally stable? Would I have been diagnosed with bipolar 2 or anxiety or depression or body dysmorphic dis- Actually, the bi- body dysmorphic disorder stems from way early on, so <laughs> that's different. But... Uh, so you, as a married man to a woman, sometimes have these feelings that I would, I wonder what it'd be like to be married to a man or I... Oh, yeah. Those feelings are still there. Do you tell your wife about those feelings? Yes. Why? Because we're best friends. Before we dated, um, all those years beforehand, we told each other everything. We have no secrets. And it's so freeing to know that she doesn't judge me no matter what I have to say and vice versa. It's very, very nice. I think that's what makes our marriage work so well is that we're there to love each other and to listen to each other. And if we don't understand, try. And Does I don't want to cry. Go ahead. I, don't want <laughs> I might cry. But uh, what were you going to say, Richard? I want you to keep talking. Okay. Um. I just love that Heavenly Father put her in my life. And I don't think it was a coincidence. There's no such thing as soulmates. At least that's what is taught. But I think there are exceptions. And the way Cassie came into my life, all the things that took place, all of it, the way 
she handled some things like not telling me she had a crush on me for years because if she had, I would have run away and let me fall in love with her the backwards way. Just everything that took place, I just don't know how this wasn't God's will in this case. I don't think I could make it work with another woman. I know I couldn't make it work with another woman. I've had other best friends who were girls who were attracted to me, and I just couldn't do it. I said, I'm sorry, but that, that would, I put you through a lot of pain. I don't love you like that. I love you, but not in that way. It, that has caused a lot of pain um, to see friends go um, that are girls because of that. What if I said to you, don't tell Cassie these feelings that at times you wonder what it would be like to be married to a man because it might scare her, worry her about your marriage or if she's going to lose you. Can you say that question again? What if I gave you the advice, which I'm not, that you shouldn't tell Cassie these feelings about sometimes wondering what it would be like to be married to a man? Some people actually have told me that. Um, and I guess the other question is, why is this actually, I guess what I'm leading to is, why is this actually healthy for your marriage to open up to Cassidy about this? Um, if I had kept that a secret, I would, I'm, uh, I deal with scrupulosity, is that how you deal, um, pronounce it? Yeah. Religious OCD. If I kept it a secret, I would have started eating at myself more and more and more. I would have been withdrawn and then our marriage would start suffering and then I would try to be so perfect that I would explode and give up because that's the perfectionism is not of heavenly father and it's definitely a tool of satan in my opinion because when somebody deals with perfectionism after such a long time of trying and trying and trying and not feeling joy from what they're doing just feeling this pressure they eventually explode because they just they want to be free from that burden and it's so unhealthy and that's not the way we should view it um so i it's very healthy for me and my wife to be very open um i did notice at one point that we started to become a little codependent and we would talk i felt the need because of my ocd to tell her every single detail and that became too much after a while. Good. And it was just like, we talked to each other. It's like, when I feel like I need to talk, I feel like I need to, then we'll talk. And there are times where I keep feelings to myself, not because I'm being dishonest, but because I feel like I'm doing this with Heavenly Father. And when I feel like it's absolutely necessary, I talk to her about it. And she knows I will go to her when I need to. And that's taken a lot of pressure off too and helped our relationship as well. I I really love that segment. I love that you open up to Cassidy about everything in your life. I love that she creates some boundaries at times where she doesn't need everything about the OCD and that, you know, at some point, some of that, she also understands the general picture. She doesn't need to know every detail of some of those stories, but I love the way you open up to her at times because I think that decreases the likelihood you're going to leave the marriage. Oh, definitely. And the shame that, because your your sexual orientation is towards men, and that's not changing. No. And, and so it would be logical for you, just like a straight person, to sometimes 
just be aware of other people. Oh, yeah. And so I'm not sure everybody should tell everything to every spouse about everything, just like you're saying, but I think it's okay to open up. Right. Because sometimes the fear of not opening up, because the other spouse can often sense something. Oh, yeah. And the fear, and then not opening up creates sometimes more of a problem than just opening up because then they know what's going on and you can both work on that. Oh, definitely. You and your wife have the same goals here. You yes. want to keep the marriage together. You want to be great parents of these two sons. Mm-hmm. And so I just admire your maturity at 28 to talk like this with your spouse. Thank you. Uh, and that's one of the things that's helping our listeners right now that are in all types of marriages. Oh, yeah. And it goes both ways. If she wasn't the kind of person she was, I don't know if we would have that healthy communication. I feel like it's very rare. You know, if you just have the instead of thinking that they did this and it, when it came to the pornography thing, um, a lot of people take it personally and that's completely understandable. I can see why people would think that. But I was like, why don't you take it personally? And she said, because I know without a shadow of a doubt you love me and that it's not about me. And I, not everybody has that mindset. We've kind of, in the culture, we're like, they have a porn addiction, stay away. But it, um, it's not the porn addiction. It's all the problems around the porn addiction. Like, uh, it's a web. You need to work on everything outside of addiction or not an addiction, whatever. But uh, like my bipolar 2, my depression, my anxiety, um, heartbreak, you know, all these things. Sometimes we don't focus on those things. And those are the real things that can really get us into trouble. We just think about stop pornography, but it's not enough. We have to actually learn how to love ourselves and take care, um, and take care of ourselves in other areas. And it makes it so much easier. A um, couple comments, and then maybe you can give some closing comments if there's anything. Sure. Um, I want to come back to the church leaders that said to tell no one and... I think if we ever would say that as a church leader, we ought to explain what we mean by that. And if it's protect you because they're worried about you being bullied, mm-hmm. that would be a logical reason not to tell anyone. But if it's to create, if it's sort of hoping this will change or you'll grow out of it or we're embarrassed about it as a family or it creates shame. It's this part of you that is real, that mm-hmm. no one says, okay, you've come out. Now don't talk about it again. Don't. We're never going to talk about it as a family. We're going to pretend it doesn't exist. I, I think that then creates shame about this part of your life that you're vulnerably opened up with that then causes you to not love yourself and not make good decisions. Oh, so definitely. I'm not saying what that leader said is a bad thing. I think we just need to, ex- if we make that statement, we need to explain why and not make it just an okay. absolute because I was so used to negative feedback, I just assumed that he thought it was a disease and he didn't want me talking about it outside like of my Like others could catch it. <laughs> or Yeah, and I... A disease is probably a good... I, But now that I look back on it, I've chosen to believe, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've chosen to believe it's because they wanted me to be safe from 
um, other people potentially harming me. That's a good thing. And that has helped me heal. And I think that's true because I feel more at peace about that. I love that. So I would say, please, you know, don't talk about this because you might be harmed or taken advantage of. Right. But what I've learned is that it's actually better that I do talk about it. And they're not perfect. They have my best, how do you say that phrase? Best interest at heart. Yeah, best interest at heart. Um, Because I found out in the end that was the solution was to talk about it. It's a part of my life's mission to talk about it. I know that without a shadow of a doubt. Um, It's just... Sometimes you have to be the pioneer and start the trail on your own. So when you say that, I think about that book you were given in the pre-earth life, and I wonder if that was one of the chapters, Jeffrey. Yeah. I wonder if you read that. It talked about your role to be a pioneer and to sort of create a path of better understanding in our church and a path for people that are less out than you. Yeah. And that's part of your mission and this podcast being part of that. This is um, a comment for our listeners. I, I've learned not to sort of understand how sexual intimacy works in a mixed orientation marriage. Um, just like I don't, when the why you know, I don't look at straight couples and wonder how sexual intimacy works in their marriages. I just learned that that's, really none of our business. I would never ask somebody in a podcast to discuss that. Um, I would never think that sexual intimacy in a mixed orientation marriage, I would never try to say, well, how does, I just, I've tried to change, train my mind that that's none of my business and I don't, and I'll just not go down that road in this podcast, but I'd encourage our listeners that may be wondering how that works, that I'm not going to ask that question, and Jeff's so transparent, he might answer, and I'm not going to let him. That's so true. <laughs> I don't so have don't, a <laughs> Um I'm not going to ask, but I just, I would just say that it's not our job to figure out how that works in any marriage. Mm-hmm. And so let's just leave that to the couples that have made this commitment to each other um, of going into the marriage covenant, of giving each other to each other, and we just want them to feel our love and support. And we want all marriages to succeed. And one of the things I hear in society is this phrase of living your truth. And sometimes that's sort of a society message for gay men and gay women that living your truth is to be with someone of your same sex. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like the prescriptive nature of that comment. I think living your truth is each person through revelation needs to find their truth. Most definitely. And it's not my job to prescribe to my LGBTQ brothers and sisters what their truth is. They need to figure themselves out. And for some, that may be stepping away from the church. And I uh-huh. I sort of, and you've heard these in other podcasts, I, I think it's okay for people to self-determine their path. And we just honor them, but I wouldn't want to add to your burden, Jeffrey, by saying you're not living your truth. And so any thoughts on that? Well, um, because I have depression and bipolar too, uh, like I said, I have been hospitalized four times in the last five years for depression or attempted suicide. And they all say the same thing. You need to be with a man. 
you need to go live the gay lifestyle. And sometimes, uh, one time they even said that in front of my very pregnant wife, which I thought was extremely disrespectful. <laughs> They're not, they shouldn't be doing that anyway. But surprisingly, a lot of people in the medical profession are constantly telling me I need to be with a man. And I just get so mad. <laughs> I, it is what it is. But, you know, people think they know the what's the best thing for me. And, you know, we're supposed to make mistakes in this life because if we learn from them, we grow from them. And um, the people who choose to live that lifestyle, maybe it is the best thing for them. Maybe they're learning something from that that gives them perspective that can be used in a very positive way. So it's really not our place to judge how people choose to live their lives because maybe there's a purpose behind it and God knew that's how it was going to be from the beginning. So we just have to trust in that and continue loving him and remembering that he loves us and keep moving uh, and keep moving forward with faith, even though things are very unclear in this day and age. You're a great guest, Jeffrey. Thank you. Thank you, Richard, for having thanks, me. Thanks, Cassie. Thanks your parents, if they're listening, your sister, your siblings, all the wonderful people in your life that have done a good job of helping you. But thank you for being you. Thank you. Who you are as a great man. Thank you. And uh, one of the potential dissertations out there, listeners, is sometimes one of my impressions that our LGBTQ members have um, a deeper relationship with Heavenly Father, a better understanding of the atonement, better communication skills, because they've had to develop these, mm -hmm. um, because they've just had to blaze their own road at times and be mm -hmm. a pioneer. And so I just recognize the depth of character you have and the good man that you are. And any closing thoughts? Um, my closing thoughts are just remember... Uh, one thing that I love that I've learned through SSA is I used to think that I could only relate to people who go through that. But I learned a very important lesson um, from Heavenly Father, and it's that we may all be going through different things, but pain is pain and love is love, and that's something we all understand and experience. So no matter what that other person is experiencing, understand that you know what pain is like and this is painful for them and that's something we can all relate to. And so we can connect with anybody despite what they're going through and uh, love everybody despite what they're going through, not just LGBT, everybody, because they're on their little journey themselves and it's quite amazing what a loving heart towards them can do. So be open to that be open-minded. Don't be quick to judge. See them how God sees them. And then it's amazing how your capacity of love grows so much when you allow it to do so. Perfect ending. Jeffrey Aldridge and our listeners, this is Richard Osler, your host of Listen, Learn, and Love. Thank you for another podcast. And thank you, our listeners, for listening, sharing, writing reviews. And Tom, our podcast man who puts these up and gets them out on the platform so you can listen to them. Thank you.